Amen. I'll just leave this right here. So it's cool. Thank you, Nicole and Nate and Ruth. Um, you know, I, I know the people who serve up here in the worship team Sundays and Wednesdays, and this is not a gig for them or a performance. Obviously, they want to do well, um, but they're using their talents and their abilities for the Lord, and so we are blessed by that, and so thank you for that. We really appreciate it. And if you'd like to use your talents and abilities for the Lord, we have many ministry opportunities here at the church, so just let me know, okay? I can help you out. All right, well, thanks again for being here tonight. Tonight we're going to be in Psalm 37, and uh, Psalm 37 is a passage that's been on my mind for a couple of years, uh, and it's just really brought some comfort and some inspiration to me, and um, I really appreciate it, and it's spoken to me in times that are difficult, and it's um, comforted me in times that uh, were pretty good, uh, or, or times that uh, we're just cruising along, and, and, and it just kind of reminded me of some things. And tonight I hope to share with you some thoughts that I have and the Lord's put on my heart about Psalm 37. Um, to title tonight's message, I would say, God's Answer to a Troubled World. God's Answer to a Troubled World. We know that God's answer to a troubled world is, of course, Jesus. And that's not a cliche. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the starting point and the ending point for everything. And so if you're here tonight and you're here uh, or you're watching online and you haven't settled the issue of Jesus in your life, that's where you need to start. That's where you need to start. This passage, Psalm 37, is not aimed at salvation. It's not aimed at trying to convince you to you know, become a believer. It's talking to you and I, what the text calls the godly, the godly. Because the psalmist David knows from his own personal experience and from just being a human that we can be troubled and that the world has trouble. And it's very easy for us to focus on the troubles and not focus on God. And so Psalm 37 is a message to you and I that the text again calls the godly to let us know, hey, it's going to be all right. Okay. And uh, so we're going to make our way through Psalm 37 tonight, and we're going to look at it in three different ways, three different levels. The first level is we're just going to look at what it says, and we're going to notice some constant refrains through Psalm 37. And, you know, God's not afraid to remind us multiple times through the Bible of his sovereignty, his protection, his love for us, his care for us. And um, that's something that can carry us through, especially when we see the troubles in the world. You know, you might be here tonight or listening, and you might have some troubles in your life personally. Maybe you have family struggles, or there's something going on in your world of work, or maybe you're looking at our country, and you're like, are the junior hires in charge? What's going on here? Is, is everything going to be okay? Or the world, and you see conflict in other parts of the world, and you wonder, is that going to come to our shores? And there's trouble. And we're not to be ignoring of those things. We're to be informed about those things. But what we do with that is something that Psalm 37 um, asks us to do. It asks us to focus on God. Okay, focus on God. Uh, Psalm 37 is written by David, great king of Israel. 
David hadn't seen his share of trouble in the world. Uh, he was a warrior. He'd been at war many times, personally in combat, sent people out to fight, um, had to deal with issues of rebellion in his family, uh, trouble. Many of his problems were self-inflicted, bad decisions, okay, uh, rebellion, uh, infidelity. But through it all, and because of it all, David's able to say, don't fret, don't fret. God's got us. God's got this. And that's a huge message, and that, is, that was relevant back then. They had trouble back then in David's time. Okay? Trouble back then, wars, rumors of wars, family conflict, all sorts of things. Things that you and I go through the same today as well. We face trouble. Maybe we've got it going on, or maybe we see it out in the world, and we can go, oh boy, I'm a little concerned. Okay? But there's a message throughout Psalm 37 that says it's going to be all right. So let's go ahead and unpack that today. We're going to look at Psalm 37, as I said, on three levels. What the text says, we're going to look at what it implies and suggests and straight up commands for you and I to do as the godly. And then we're going to look at the passage in terms of, gosh, how do we adopt this perspective that David has? Okay. Because it's, you know, we can look at the Bible and go, yeah, that's really neat. I get it. And then walk away from it and never really put it into practice. But what you hear on Sundays and Wednesdays here at church and go through Bible studies has to be put into practice. We have to take some action steps on that. And our, on our, um, our text tonight, Psalm 37, definitely gives us some action steps to take as a result of absorbing Psalm 37. So as I said, Psalm 37 is something that's important to me. I really, really return to it and, and love it. And I hope that you have passages that you can return to, that you can find as comfort, as strength, as inspiration, and that you can share with other people. So let's jump into Psalm 37 right now, okay? All right, we're going to look at what the passage has to say. So right out of the gate in verse 1, David says, Do not fret when wicked men seem to succeed. Do not envy evildoers. We could stop right there and do an entire message just on that one verse, all right? Because there's a lot packed in that. But through that verse, that verse echoes some refrains that we see throughout this passage. Do not fret, we'll return to that. Talks about wicked men seeming to succeed, we'll talk about that. Okay. Let's focus in, though, on the, on the first part here. He says, do not fret when wicked men seem to succeed. Okay. He mentions the wicked in verse 1. He mentions the wicked in verse 9. Wicked men will be wiped out. He mentions evil men will soon disappear in verse 10. He mentions... Evil men in verse 12, evil men plot against the godly and viciously attack them. That's some really, really charged, loaded language, okay? They're vicious, they're attacking, all right? And so we see throughout this passage, going on to verse uh, 14, evil men draw their swords and prepare their bows to bring down the oppressed and the needy and to slaughter the godly. We see this constant refrain that evil exists, that evil exists. Now, I know most everybody in here, okay? And we could probably very easily have a conversation that evil exists and we all go, yeah, we know evil exists. But we need to stop there for just a second, okay? David makes this point throughout the passage that evil exists, that wicked is out there in the world. You and I live in a world, in a culture, 
Okay? Where not everybody agrees with that. Not everybody agrees with that. I work in a high school, and I've had students tell me over the years, well, you know, Hitler thought he was right, so who am I to judge him? Okay? Which is a pretty big statement. Okay? And so the idea that evil doesn't exist or that evil is relative to your culture, okay, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Okay? And here's why it's nonsense. One, it's nonsense because the Bible said it, said that evil exists. And if God said it, then I believe it, and that settles it. There's no debate there. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Second of all, if we take evil lightly, wickedness lightly, then we're kind of spitting on the cross. Because there's no need for Jesus, there's no need for redemption, there's no accountability, there's no need for any of this if evil doesn't exist. If evil is just a cultural concept. We should not buy that. Okay? So make sure that as you read Psalm 37, you notice the clear statement that evil is real. Evil is real. The great news, though, is that evil is temporary. Evil is temporary. Whew, what a relief, huh? Okay. Hey, evil's there. Oh, well, no, evil is temporary. Go back to verse 1. Do not fret when wicked men seem to succeed. Do not envy evildoers. Verse 2, they will quickly dry up like grass and wither away like plants. How temporary is evil? And this is a hard thing for us to grasp, grasp sometimes, isn't it? We see the world, we see the trouble, we see the difficulty, and we think, oh my gosh, the evil, the wicked, they're winning. I'm trying to do the best thing, raise my kids and things, and these people are winning. They're having success, they're having fame, and they're having fortune, they're having all these things. Why are they getting that? And David himself saw that. Okay? And he says, and really it's the Lord speaking through David, evil is temporary. They're not going to win. It's an illusion. It's temporary. As Pastor Jeff says, this is the only hell that we'll know and the only heaven that they'll know. Okay? That's worth remembering. Continue on in the passage where it talks about how evil is temporary. Look at verse 9. Wicked men will be wiped out. Okay. David uses language like wiped out, ended, no future, no legacy. And that is not literary device. That's truth. Wicked men have temporary victories. Okay. Verse 10, evil men will soon disappear. You will stare at the spot where they once were, but they will be gone. They'll just, they'll be gone. Their 15 minutes of fame are done. And yet the Lord continues. Verse 17, evil men will lose their power, but the Lord sustains the godly. Yes, yes. Okay. Evil is temporary. Go all the way over to verse 38. Sinful rebels are totally destroyed. Evil men have no future. David is able to say this with confidence because he loves the Lord he trusts in the Lord, and he's seen the Lord work in his life. It says other spots in the passage where there's no future. Um, it says in 28, they are permanently secure, that's the godly, but the children of evil men are wiped out. 
They have no future. They have no legacy. Okay? So if that's the plan for evil people, then the opposite is true for you and I, the godly. We have a future. We will possess the land, as it says in here. And that should be a great comfort to you as you deal with and see the things in the world that are happening, as you're dealing with things personally, as you see stuff in the country and in the world and you wonder, yikes, is this going okay? Is this going to be all right? So we've established that evil is real and evil is temporary. Let's turn to talking about the godly. The God, this is another constant refrain through uh, chapter 37, Psalm 37. Godly are blessed. The godly are blessed. All right. So verse 4, Then you will take delight in the Lord, and he will answer your prayers. The God of the universe, who sustains everything and made everything, is caring about what you have to say and listening to your prayers. That is pretty, pretty, pretty deep. That's pretty amazing. Okay. Evil has no future, and you have the God of the universe listening, coveting your prayers on a daily basis. That's amazing. What a blessing. What a blessing. Verse 9, wicked men will be wiped out, but those who rely on the Lord are the ones who will possess the land. Possess the land. That's a term that's used a lot, a phrase that's used a lot in this chapter. And possess the land is something that I think would make sense to an agrarian society that David was a part of. Okay. And when you think about us today, I don't know how that would be written if it was written today, but the idea of being blessed and possessing the land is the idea that there's some permanence there. Okay? And how God blesses us today, it, you know, you're not going to get a million dollars in your mailbox tomorrow, I'm sorry to say. Okay? But God blesses us in so many ways. Sharon and I are so blessed to be part of this fellowship. We have family and friends here, and it is just such a comfort to be here. And that's a huge blessing, a huge blessing. And I hope that we continue to walk in that and trust in that. And so God's going to bless you in so many different ways. Okay? Doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you aren't going to have struggles and difficulties, illnesses or whatever. Okay? But, and we'll do a little preview of some stuff later, but on that point, look at um, verse 23 and 24. The Lord grants success to the one whose behavior he finds commendable. That's cool. Even if he trips, he will not fall headlong, for the Lord holds his hand. Wow. God holds your hand. God is right there with you in all of these things, in our difficulties. That's blessing right there. That's a huge blessing that God is on your side. Okay? Let's go to verse 34. Rely on the Lord, obey his commands, and he will permit you to possess the land and you'll see the demise of evil men. As we turn to God, he allows us to see the wicked fail and fade. And that allows us to gain and continue to grow in our confidence and trust in the Lord. Okay? So we're rewarded by seeing the demise of evil men and we're also encouraged by that. Okay? What a miracle, what a miracle. So that blessing also leads us into the fourth point about what the text says, which is another refrain throughout the whole text. It says that the godly are protected. The godly are protected. If you go to verse 6, he will vindicate you in broad daylight and publicly defend your just cause. God is our advocate. 
God is our way maker, as the song said. He's our way maker. He's advocating for us. He's making a path for us. And he's protecting us. Think of Psalm 23 and how the Lord is my shepherd. Okay? And he's protecting us and he's looking out for us and providing pastures for us to graze upon. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Uh, verse 18, the Lord watches over the innocent day by day and they possess a permanent inheritance. That's protection, watching over us day by day, always at our side, and that's permanent future. That's blessing right there. Okay? And that permanent future is eternal life in heaven with the Lord. What could be a greater blessing than that? There is none. There is none. God is great. God is great. Verse 39, but the Lord delivers the godly. He protects them in times of trouble. God is with us through all of our difficulties. He's there for us. He's our comfort. He's our rock. He's our protector. Beautiful. All right, so those are the four refrains that we see in the, in the chapter. Evil is real. Thankfully, it's temporary. The godly are blessed, and the godly are protected. Let's move now to look at the chapter in a different light. Let's look and see uh, what it has to say about how we're supposed to live as the godly in a world that we know is troubled. That's troubling, okay? So we've got four points for that, okay? The first point is we are not to worry. Now, I know that if there was the Olympics of worrying, we'd all be getting gold medals, Okay, because we can be world-class warriors. Can we not? Okay. Well, you know what? The Bible says in all sorts of places, and including Psalm 37, don't worry. Don't fret. Now, this is in the context of, hey, when you see the wicked prospering, don't fret. Don't let it get you down. Okay. But we know from other parts of the Bible as well that God does not want us to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. God wants us to not worry. Because when we worry, we're distracted. We're not focused on God. We're not allowing him to work fully in our lives. And this is something that we have to do on a daily basis. It's a daily battle for all of us here, okay? To not worry, to not fret, to not be anxious. I know that for a fact because I know a lot of you and I'm one of you, okay? Look at what it says in verse one. Right out of the gate, David says, do not fret when wicked men seem to succeed. Don't fret, okay? That's our tendency as humans is to fret and worry and be like, oh my gosh, who's in charge here? What's going on? Okay? We can't do that. We're not to do that. Verse 7 and 8, wait patiently for the Lord, wait confidently for him. That's verse 7. If you're worrying, you're not being patient. Okay? If you're worrying, you're not being confident in the Lord. Okay? Verse 8, do not be angry and frustrated. Do not fret, that only leads to trouble. Wow, David really sticks it to us right there. He's like, hey, don't get angry when you see the wicked happen, doing their thing. When sinners succeeding, don't be frustrated, don't fret. That only leads to trouble. And to think about it, if we worry and get angry, that only just exacerbates things. So we have to be intentional and not worry, not worry. Okay, the second thing that the text tells us um, about how to live as the godly is we're to trust in and rely on God. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do what is right. Doing what, right. doing what is right is discernible. So 
there should never be like, eh, I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do. Usually, in my sort of frame of reference is, if I have to question if this is the right thing for me to do or watch or listen to, I probably, I shouldn't be doing it, okay? So do what is right, which is discernible, okay? Trust in the Lord. Settle in the land and maintain your integrity. The New King James puts this as trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and feed on his righteousness. Whoa, the first time I read that, feed on his righteousness, I had this image of just grazing at um, a great buffet of the Lord and just subsuming myself into the word and fellowship and prayer and just loving God, feeding on his righteousness. So that's what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live as the godly in order for us to be able to handle the trouble and difficulty that we see in the world. And that's echoed in verse 5 and 6. Commit your future to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act on your behalf. Trust in the Lord. And he is working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Great song for tonight, Waymaker. Uh, verse 28, for the Lord promotes justice and never abandons his faithful followers. They are permanently secure, but the children of evil men are wiped out. We have security in the Lord. We have security in the Lord. We need to rest in that and trust in that. And as we do that, we will grow in confidence and we will grow in the Lord. And again, our life isn't going to be perfect. We might still have struggles. In fact, David mentions that uh, in, or as I said earlier, in verse uh, 24, even if he trips, he will not fall headlong, for the Lord holds his hand. And he also mentions that in verse 19. Go and start with 18. It says, the Lord watches over the innocent day by day, and they possess a permanent inheritance. And then verse 19, they, the godly, the innocent, will not be ashamed when hard times come. Hard times are part of life. When famine comes, they will have enough to eat. Okay. God will provide some way. God's a way maker. Okay. And so we have to trust in that. We have to trust in that. And that is, again, a continual daily thing that we must do. I know that from personal experience. And many of you do as well. Uh, the next point, we are, we are to do what is right. We're to do what is right. That's point number three. And in verse three, it says, trust in the Lord and do what is right. Okay, we've mentioned that before. Uh, we mentioned, and look at verse 21, evil men borrow but do not repay their debt, but the godly show compassion and are generous. If you're ever wondering, how do I live as a believer, as a God follower? Have compassion. Be generous. That's doing what is right. Okay? That's doing what is right, and put that in practice. In verse 30, on that last point, the godly speak wise words and promote justice. Are your words wise? Are your words suffused with the Lord? Are you promoting justice, doing what is right? When I say, are you, I'm asking myself that same question. The last point about what God wants us to do and how to live as the godly in a troubled world is a great one. We are to be peacemakers, peacemakers. 
Verse 8, we're returning to that one again. Don't be angry and frustrated. Do not fret. That only leads to trouble. Trouble. Trouble is not peaceful. Okay. Verse 21, evil men borrow but do not repay their debt. The godly show compassion and are generous. Being compassion, compassionate, being generous, that's sowing peace among the people that you and I come in contact with. Verse 26, all day long he that is a godly man shows compassion and lends to others and his children are blessed. When you and I do what is right, when we're peacemakers, that affects people around us, including our kids, our future, our legacy. What's greater than that? It's a beautiful thing. And then look at verse 37. I said that we're to be peacemakers. Verse 37, take note of the one who has integrity, Observe the godly, for the one who promotes peace has a future. Okay? Promoting peace. Kind, compassionate, fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, okay? joy. Psalm 37 is chock full of things. We tend to look at Psalm 37 as these things of praise and worship to the Lord, and they are, but they also have lots to say about how we're supposed to live as the godly in the world. Okay. Psalm 19, 14 says, uh, May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my sheltering rock and my redeemer. That's a verse that has really impacted me in the last couple months because I think about my words and my thoughts and how I want them to honor the Lord. And you know, usually I think of the Bible and I go, well, commands and how to live are really found more in the New Testament, but it's all throughout the Bible about how to live as a godly person. And don't you want to be a godly person? Don't you want to... Leave a good legacy for the Lord. All right, so at this point we have discussed, or I've discussed, that evil is real, evil is temporary, the godly are protected, the godly are blessed. We talked about ways that the Bible, the Psalm 37 says about how you and I should live in the world, in a troubled world. Okay? We either focus on the trouble or we focus on the Lord. That's kind of what it comes down to. And Psalm 37 continually reminds us and encourages us, focus on the Lord. So how do you arrive at this perspective? I want to look at five little points about how we can arrive at the perspective of David the psalmist. David is speaking from experience. In verse 25, it says, I was once young, now I am old. I have never seen a godly man abandoned or his children forced to search for food. And... He's saying, look, I've seen, some, I've seen some things. I've seen people in difficulty. And through it all, the Lord has been a sustaining force. Okay? So how do we arrive at this perspective of David? Okay. I think we look at verse 4. Take delight in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. Or feed on his righteousness. We have to take delight in the Lord. And that's been challenging to me. Because, um, you know, I like a lot of things. I like to do stuff. And my delight has to be in the Lord. And I think when we have the Lord as our main focus, our main delight, everything else falls into place. And, and we can enjoy those things that God has wired us to do and that we're drawn toward, but we don't seek fulfillment in those things. We know that our fulfillment is in the Lord. And He's our delight. And that frees us up to do other things and to be compassionate and to love others because we love the Lord. 
because you love the Lord. So I want to encourage you tonight to take delight in the Lord. Look at verse 19. This is an interesting take. They will not be ashamed when hard times come. When famine comes, they will have enough to eat. Don't be ashamed of your life. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to be a Christian. Don't be ashamed to be a believer. Don't be ashamed to be called among the godly. I think when we when we take delight in the Lord, it gives us confidence, and we're not going to be ashamed. And we can have the perspective of David the psalmist who says, God's in control, it's going to be all right. Evil is temporary. The text also says not to worry. Not to worry. And when we choose not to worry, we obey the Lord. And we are able to have that perspective about world events, national events, things in our family, things in our business, and not worry about it. And it doesn't mean we're not to be informed and we're not to advocate passionately for things that we believe in and that the Lord has put on our heart. Okay? But if we're worrying, if we're distracted from our faith in Christ, then that's become an idol for us. And we've taken our eyes off the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. And when we do that, we have, when, we, when we focus on the Lord, we're able to navigate those things in the world. And say, yeah, I see those things happening, and that's really bad. But let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me look to Jesus to help me through those things. We're going to jump out of Psalm 37 and talk about a couple things in the New Testament. Do you realize that we're foreigners and exiles according to 1 Peter 2.11? Okay. This is not our home. Okay. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we're ambassadors for Christ. Okay. You think about foreigners, you think about exiles, you think about ambassadors, they don't live here. Their citizenship, their destination, their final home is somewhere else. So think about yourself going on a road trip. You're passing through towns, and you hear about local stuff going on, and you're like, oh, wow, that's too bad. You know, and you have human compassion for those people and for those situations, but you're not really invested in it because your focus is on your destination. Okay? And if the Lord leads you to you know, be further involved, then of course you should be. But as ambassadors, as foreigners, as exiles, we have a destination, and that destination is heaven. And we shouldn't be distracted from that by the cares of this world. Okay. Informed? Sure. Distracted? No. It's a battle. It's a balance we have to find. The final way that we can adopt the perspective of David the psalmist is to do what it says in James 4, 8. Draw near to the Lord because he will draw near to you. And you're here tonight and you're drawing near to the Lord by carving time out of your schedule to be at church and to watch on live stream and to hear what the Lord might have to say to you through song, through fellowship, through the teaching of the word. And so I, continue, I want to continue to encourage you to draw near to the Lord because when you draw near to the Lord, you become more consumed with Jesus, with God himself. And that 
shifts our focus away from the troubles on the news and on social media and in our family and dif difficulties that happen out there. Okay. And I'm reasonably certain that a lot of you understand this because you've probably been around church for a while, but I hope it's a good reminder. And when I read Psalm 37, I'm reminded of those things as well. That the troubles of the world don't need to be my distraction. And Sharon will tell you, this school year has been a tough year for me. And a lot of times I was distracted by the stuff going on at school. And um, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, but I, I began to think about that and hopefully began to shift my focus more toward the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to draw near to the Lord because he's there and he will draw near to you. Okay. We started tonight, I mentioned Jesus. I said that he's the answer to a troubled world. And that's the truth. Let's go back to what Jesus said in John. John said, in John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. It begins with Jesus, it ends with Jesus. If you want to have the perspective of David the psalmist and be able to navigate a troubled world, you need to be trusting in Jesus for everything. You need to choose not to worry. You need to remember that this is not your home. You're just passing through. Okay. And you need to remember that evil is temporary. They're not... They're not going to win. So be a peacemaker and do what is right. And the Lord will be your way maker. Okay? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you are real. You're the answer to the evil we see in the world and the trouble we see in the world. Thank you for David the psalmist, Lord, who echoes you when he reminds us not to fret, when he reminds us that evil is temporary. Lord, I just pray that tonight as we leave here and as we enter into quiet times and devotions with, or Bible studies with ourselves or with others, Lord, I just pray that we will remember Psalm 37, that we will allow it to be a comfort in difficult times, a reminder of your mercy and sovereignty in good times, and that, Lord, that we can choose to be intentional in our faith and to not worry, but to trust and fully rely upon you and your very capable hands that you have the world. Thank you for tonight, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you will bring us all back safely on Sunday or Wednesday. Lord, we lift you up. You are mighty and powerful. You are master of all. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Thanks. Have a great night.